This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the Legislature Today. I'm Brianna Heaney. After today, there is just three weeks left in the 2024 legislative session. Expect the pace to pick up as bills move through the committee and onto the chamber floors. Also, the respective finance committees have been working all along, but expect to hear more about that in the next few weeks. In the House of Delegates today, the contentious bill regarding school libraries and obscene material went through third reading. Randy Yowie has that story. Right now, public and school libraries and museums have exemptions to West Virginia's law against displaying or disseminating obscene material to minors. House Bill 4654 would remove those exemptions. West Virginia's obscenity laws have possible punishments of fines up to $25,000 and up to five years imprisonment. Obscene matter is matter that in part an average person applying community standards what finds depicts offensively sexual explicit conduct and taken as a whole lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. Delegate Jeff Stevens, a Republican from Marshall County and a public school teacher, supports a bill he says aligns with teachers' responsibility to protect students. We have safeguards in place at schools um, for students' electronic devices. We have GoGuardian to protect them from obscene material. Uh, we have the FCC that protects uh, children from seeing obscene material on TV. Uh, this bill is giving our students and children of the community uh, the same protection they receive from GoGuardian and from the FCC. Delegate Joey Garcia, a Democrat from Marion County, opposed the bill, noting why these protections for schools and libraries were originally put in place. There are so many people that work in a library, that work together, sometimes 50, 60 people in one public library, who are putting books on shelves, who are putting things on display, which, by the way, display is something that's defined in here, not as displaying, not as giving it to somebody who's young, but really just putting it on the bookshelf. The bill's sponsor, Delegate Brandon Steele, a Republican from Raleigh County, says the bill does not ban books, but simply protects children from being exposed to pornography. It's a crime because it is the act of grooming. Anytime that you're showing pornography or purient material to a minor, it is an act of grooming. What does that mean? It means you're desensitizing the minor to obscene, sexually arousing, sexually gratifying material that they're not used to, that puts that minor in a position where they are more vulnerable to sexual assault and sexual abuse. Delegate Evan Hansen, a Democrat from Monongalia County, opposed the bill, saying there are already local community standards in place to determine what's obscene. And our libraries apply local community standards when they make decisions about what books to put on the shelves. It was raised in Judiciary Committee 
some questions about how a national library group was suggesting certain graphic novels be classified. And I thought the answer from the librarian was instructive because she disagreed with what the national organization suggested and took a more restrictive view about where these materials should be placed. While the national group said they should be in the young adult section, she disagreed because she was answering to the local community standards in her community and placed them in a location that children could not easily access. That's how this is supposed to work. The bill passed with a vote straight along party lines, 85 to 12, and now goes to the Senate. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. The Senate is grinding along, passing quieter bills, not typically on controversial topics, unlike the House. Here's today's numbers. The Senate passed 11 bills today and sent them to the House for consideration. The Senate also advanced over 20 other bills, seven of which are House bills. There was also an emotional debate around a resolution. Senate resolutions are a form of legislation on things like rules for the legislature or to express sentiments. They can be a symbolic way of issuing support, which was the case for today's Senate resolution. Senate Resolution 42 supports Texas Governor Greg Abbott in using every tool and strategy, including razor wire fences, to secure the southern border. The resolution also calls out President Joe Biden and chides him for a so-called refusal to secure the border. Senator Mike Stewart, a Republican from Kanawha County, is the lead sponsor of that resolution. He says he visited the border and saw the challenges the state of Texas is facing. As best we can tell, I say as best we can tell because we don't know the numbers. At least 8 million illegals have crossed across that border. Who's coming across that border? We don't know. We know that there are folks on the terrorist watch list coming across that border. Human traffickers, child predators, violent criminals. We also know there are a lot of really good people coming across that border looking for a better life. What Texas Governor Abbott's trying to do is provide some defense of that border, not only on behalf of Texas, but on behalf of all states, including West Virginia. Article 4, Section 4, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution provides that states have a right to self-defense. Senator Mike Caputo, a Democrat from Marion County, was the only no vote on the resolution. That was a wonderful campaign speech, and uh, that's what I think this resolution is all about. I want to begin by saying I certainly support a secure border. Stewart is running for attorney general in the upcoming election. Caputo expressed concern for some of the measures supported in the resolution regarding children. And the senator talked about the children that were coming and the good people that were coming. Of course there's bad people. Of course there is. We're going to support utilizing every tool including razor wire fences for innocent children that are being brought here by others, we're going to support using razor wire fences. Have we lost our minds? Have we lost our minds? There's not one of us in this chamber that doesn't care about children. Razor wire fences, 
It's insane. I might be the only no vote up there, and I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not one bit ashamed of that because I'll feel good about my vote and I'll feel good about my career here. I don't feel good about the direction we're going, Mr. President. Caputo is not running for re-election. One notable bill today was Senate Bill 375. The bill affects non-insurance health care plans, known as health care sharing ministries or HCSMs. In HCSMs, members pay into a pool of money that is available upon approval if one of the members need medical care. Members typically submit the bill for their health care to the organization, and if approved, the care is paid for. Organizations like this were prevalent among Amish and Mennonite communities for decades, but have recently risen to mainstream popularity following the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Members of these organizations are exempt from the tax penalty originally required in that law. They are a non-for-profit organization and are exempt from the regulations and oversight that insurance companies adhere to. That has raised concerns about consumer protection and solvency of the organizations. Senate Bill 375 confirms the state insurance commissioner's practice of not participating in the regulation of these programs. The bill also requires HCSMs to prepare an annual audit and to provide a written disclaimer notifying members and potential members that HCSMs are not an insurance policy and coverage of medical bills are totally voluntary and that members are ultimately personally responsible for the payment of their own medical bills. Some public colleges and universities have a requirement that students have health care insurance. This bill states that HCSMs would also satisfy that requirement. Michael Oliverio, a Republican from Monongalia County, says this bill would help students whose parents are uninsured. With the absence of this legislation, if those students' parents are participating in a health share ministry program, that will not count as insurance as judged by the higher education institutions. And in turn, those students or their parents uh, would have to pay thousands of additional dollars during their college years to meet the health insurance requirement. Capito was the only no vote on the bill. He says these programs are not cost effective. Well, you know, I've done some research on it, Bill, have my staff do some research. It, it isn't as smooth and, and just as a lot of people want to make it out to be. I've found that a lot of uh, uh, procedures aren't even covered. A lot of things have to come out of pocket and, and be reimbursed, and some people may not have the, the money to pull it out of pocket. Just the research that I've done uh, didn't prove to me that it was a good idea. This week, our teen reporters take a look at several environmental bills working their way through the legislature. Hey, West Virginia. Coming to you from our state capital, my name is Amir Mustafa. And I am Ben Velo. As we celebrate West Virginia being named a top global destination by National Geographic, we wanted to reflect on the beautiful nature around us. Our state's ecosystem is the second most biologically diverse in the world, behind only the Amazon rainforest. Our ecosystem is where we derive our sense of pride in our beautiful state. So what are our legislators doing to preserve it? Well, let's start by looking at Quarter H, the road that connects Strasburg, Virginia to Weston, West Virginia. Development for this road started in the late 1960s, and according to West Virginia Gazette, is a huge risk for local wildlife. There are 50 endangered species of plants and animals observed in the area, and with core drilling and extensive construction, this can be severely scarring to their habitats. 
Today, our legislators are focusing more on the economic side of things. After all, Quarter H would allow for big business opportunities and expansion. Led by Republican Senator Bill Hamilton from Upshur County, Senate Bill 571 would create an economic authority for Quarter H to observe and monitor the economic opportunities. For the past 50 years, Quarter H has been in development and is expected to finish in late 2025. Republican Delegate Eric Brooks from Raleigh County plans to focus on the economy as well as the environment. He introduced House Bill 5085, which gives tax incentives to businesses that choose to recycle. West Virginia only has about a 2% recycling rate, and getting this number up would result in less air and water pollution. We need to focus on the environment as well as the economy, especially because big businesses and industries are a major source of air pollution and can potentially harm civilians. How is West Virginia's air quality? Could I test it from home? Well, as of right now, you can. West Virginia only has 13 air quality monitors operated by the State Department of Environmental Protections. So, if you wanted to use a community air quality monitor, you could. However, House Bill 5018, sponsored by Republican Delegate Bill Anderson from Wood County, restricts this. This bill says that while these monitors could be used under the same regulations as the one at the state level, their data collected cannot be used in any case, penalty, fine, or investigation. Community air monitoring data can only be used to bring attention to the state level, but it would stop there. If there was an issue with pollution, the state would have to handle it. Democrat Delegate Larry Rowe from Kanawha County disagreed with this bill. He proposed an amendment that would allow the data collected to be used. If the public notices a problem with their pollution, he thinks they should be able to investigate and stop it using their own data. However, his amendment was ultimately rejected. House Bill 5018 passed in the House after being read three times and is now in the Energy, Industry, and Mining Committee in the Senate. Once again, we are here to remind you that as students, we can learn from these bills, but as citizens, we can fight for or against them. If you feel strongly about any of these bills we have discussed, contact your local legislators. All of their information is found online at wvlegislature.gov. Get out there and preserve our wild and wonderful state. And join us next week where we will be discussing jobs related to the legislature. As always, I'm Amir Mustafa. And I'm Ben Velo. For the legislature today. This week, for our reporter roundtable, Brad McElhenney from West Virginia Metro News joins Randy Yohe and Curtis Tate in the studio to discuss what's going on in the legislature and what they expect to see in the final weeks. Yes, here at our Friday Reporters Roundtable is Brad McElhenney with uh, WV Metro News and our energy reporter Curtis Tate. Gentlemen, let's get right into it. Uh, Let's go with some breaking news at first because there are some new developments, I understand, when it comes to one or two of the many lawsuits that Governor Jim Justice is dealing with, Brad. His longtime banker, Carter Bank and Trust, which uh, had a lending relationship with Justice's family companies, has been going after them for $300 million in unresolved debt, personally guaranteed by the Justices. Most recently, that has meant an announced auction on the courthouse steps of the Greenbrier Sporting Club, which is a ritzy community alongside the Greenbrier Resort. Uh, many of the properties owned by individual landowners, individual property owners, but Justice owns the overall picture as well as the development company. That was gonna be auctioned, but today there was uh, a new development that's gonna be delayed at least until April. So anybody who may be affected by that, including the governor, can breathe a bit of a sigh of relief. Because, uh, Brandon, I, I know we've both been kind of following this. Uh, didn't he sue back in, in circuit court in Greenbrier County? There, there is a, a, an, a, a court filing in Greenbrier County. A sliver of that has been a motion for preliminary injunction. 
There was going to be a hearing on Tuesday to hold off that auction, but Carter Bank and Trust has agreed that A, they can't get ready in time for Tuesday to make uh, a coherent argument in court on a complicated situation. A uh, little bit of late notice, and it is complicated. It's not only the governor's property, but it's shared with all those Greenbrier Sporting Club members. So they've said, look, let's just not have the hearing on Tuesday and hold off the, the auction of the property that was going to be March 5th, hold off at least until April. Well, right. and, well just to say briefly, uh, his companies are also in federal court in, in a, a couple of cases in Virginia, in Roanoke, Virginia, uh, that involve a, a helicopter, a, an offshore a Caribbean company, uh, the U.S. Marshals, and uh, more, more recently a ski resort near Charlottesville. It just, it's, there's so much going on. It's like, <laughs> your, your whiteboard may be totally filled up. <laughs> right. Um, one bill that uh, went to third reading today in the House that, that, that we've been following was the uh, obscene material bill that the exemption right now for schools and libraries and museums to be exempt from uh, the, the dissemination or showing of, of what might be obscene material uh, passed on third reading. Uh, the arguments here, uh, the biggest argument I hear against this passage, since it will go now go to the Senate, it hasn't just become law, is uh, there are already community standards in place across the, uh, West Virginia uh, for local rule that we're already policing this. Is that what you're hearing too, right? Sure. The, the obscenity laws in the United States would apply to materials that are purely of prurient interest that, that don't have, that lack artistic or literary merit. And so anything in a library or museum should meet that standard. When there are complaints to libraries, what the librarians will tell you is they review the materials. Uh, they can leave it where it is if they view the materials to be properly placed already. Uh, they can move the materials, maybe say to the adult section uh, or behind, behind harder to get. Uh, or they can remove the materials entirely. So the librarians that I've spoken to and that you've probably spoken to have said, look, there's really no reason to open us up to the potential liability of the state's obscenity laws uh, for potential prosecution, no matter the end result, whether we wind up behind bars or not, uh, to go through the expense and the difficulty and the, the harm to our reputation. Plus, I imagine the Senate will take a look at um, who, who would be prosecuted here. It, it just says any adult. I mean, would it be the board members of the library, the people that work there, all of the above? There, there's no definition. Uh, the Democrats press, the judicious chair, Tom, Chom fast to uh, to answer that, and he would just say, "Any adult, any adult, you know." What well, and that's so that's really up in the air, and it would be civil liability, right? Criminal. It, it could Crim be no, no, criminal liability. Up to twenty five thousand dollars, or right. a up to a five year prison sentence for your local librarian. And yes, it, that that is one of the questions that the librarians has raised. The librarians have raised is that that a library is a community location and there are a lot of people with different roles so would the prosecution come down to the person who put whatever material on the shelves would it be to whoever stamped the book and let the kid check it out uh, that potentially could be up to prosecutorial discretion but you'd have to trust the prosecutors to use the right judgment we'll see how the senate deals with this let's hop skip and jump around a little bit curtis uh you've been covering this cleveland cliffs uh, steelmaker uh, up in the northern panhandle uh, uh, 
950 jobs That's are right. leaving because this company's leaving. Um, Give us the scoop on that, and is there anything the legislature can do to help? Well, it basically boils down to a trade dispute, and uh, the company just decided uh, this week to uh, to shutter the plant. They issued that that warn notice to the 950 employees. Um, they'll be out of a job in, in April if nothing else changes. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's a a, a big problem for for the state and local economy this plant is in is in Weirton um, and um, uh, you know the other day we talked to to uh, Mitch Carmichael the economic development secretary and he said that he's throwing everything he can at it uh, his department is and of course the governor brought it up today in his in his briefing um, I don't know that that the legislature has time to to, to get something together to, ha to have a role in in um, in trying to, to address this, but uh, you know, it, it it's kind of like a like a crisis moment, you know. And um, I don't know if the, if if the, you know their <laughs> their attention is focused on you know some of the things that we were just talking about. So I don't know. I don't but know what they to expect. Sure did make sure that they gave credits to Forum Energy, which is going into weird. That's right. So that's right. It, it going out it, of it, there, it, and it, the legislature it, was involved there. I guess that it does offset. The, the loss is somewhat because Forum Energy is supposed to have at least 750 people there, uh, but you know you subtract another another 950. I mean, there's been a lot of good news over the past couple of years, as, as Secretary Carmichael and I were talking about just the other day. But this is obviously a setback. Um, Women's Bill of Rights. I mean, we've heard this bannered back and forth for a couple of weeks. It came to a head in the House today. Your take on, on how that ended? Yeah, that, that passed the House and now goes to the Senate. You know, I, I think it's got a naming problem, for one thing. Uh, so it, it makes it an easy target. It, it's a women's bill of rights, but basically what the bill does is it adds specific definitions to the word man and woman in, in state code. Um, beyond that, it's difficult to determine what the rights might be. There, there's a little sliver of the bill that says you can have specifically designated male or female restrooms. Uh, so <laughs> that's, that's, that's a portion of a right, but Democrats have, have targeted the bill for saying, look, where's the beef? What are, what are the women's rights in this bill? And now that argument moves over to the state Senate. Well, and, well, and LGBTQ groups uh, say that it, it basically uh, enables discrimination against transgender people, especially transgender women. Because the, 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 they're also talking about bathrooms and locker rooms and about, um, you know, single-sex spaces. Yeah, I mean, single-sex spaces like, like locker rooms, and the question came up. So it's a, it's a halftime of a girls' basketball game, and there's a male coach. Say it's Jim Justice, for example. Uh, can that male coach go in to that locker room at halftime and talk to his players? And then there was a nebulous answer there. Well, there's they're not showering or or whatever but if it was somebody complain about that so there's still some rough edges on this bill that that as there are with many bills it seems right now that that could use some a little more legislative sandpaper so it, it, we'll it was an interesting hypothetical uh, in part because the governor is a basketball coach my my understanding of what was said during that back and forth was that that the local authority whatever maintains the bathroom, whether it's a school district or the mall or whatever, can, can set the standards about who goes in and when. And frankly, I'm not sure the state should be deciding that anyway. I agree. Um, 
Army teachers, uh, you listened to, I, I know that this bill is moving through the House, and I think you listened to it, committee, to let teachers uh, be able to, to carry firearms within schools. Uh, where does that stand? Well, there's continued concern about school safety uh, with, with the various school shootings across the country, and thank goodness West Virginia has not experienced one. There have been attempts in the last few years to enhance school security in a variety of ways, uh, hardening up the entrances and exits, the windows, providing more access to uh, specific school security personnel. But in some cases, the districts have found it difficult, especially rural ones, to, to actually have uh, trained security personnel on hand. This bill would allow teachers to have a concealed carry permit and also to undergo some training and they could opt in uh, to, to carry either guns or stun guns to potentially protect the school. Uh, those in favor of the bill say that that would be a good security resource, especially when maybe others can't be found. Those who are more skeptical of the bill say that adds even more guns to a school environment and accidents can happen. And that goes along with another bill that, that wants to set up school protection officers to go along with the resource officers that perhaps uh, sheriff's departments now uh, send to schools, uh, all on safety and security. And then when you talk to the higher levels of, of colleges and universities, they're preparing for the July 1st campus carry. And I've talked to a couple of uh, administrators with some of these schools. They're still cramming on how we're going to make sure that we allow this carrying of firearms on campuses and still keep everything safe and secure. Uh, well, can I just say real quick that, that our colleague Chris Schultz uh, reported just the other day that there was a very close call at, at, at uh, Cabell Midland, I, I believe it was, where uh, a, a student had a manifesto and he had a list of, of teachers and students that, that, uh, that he wanted to kill. So th this, this issue is not going away. Uh, it was Environmental Day this week. Uh, that's in your bailiwick, Curtis. Yes, it, it is, and, and uh, uh, the groups came to the Capitol and uh, had a special guest, the, uh, the regional EPA administrator, Adam Ortiz. Um, they talked about things like uh, community air monitoring. There's a bill, uh, HB 5018, that's, uh, that's passed the House uh, that, that would restrict how that data is used uh, to where it can't be used in, in, a, in the regulatory or legal process. And the, uh, the groups there were, were pushing back against that. They were also promoting uh, two bills related to solar that haven't moved beyond committee at this point. One, establishing community solar in the state. That's where you can subscribe. You don't have to put the panels on your rooftop or whatever, and then uh, the net metering uh, bill, which uh, would basically give you a one-for-one -one credit uh, for the solar uh, energy that you produce on, on your rooftop if you have those that 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 that, uh, that goes to the company, and you'd get you'd get the the, the like I said the one-to-one -one credit for that. Um, but you know they haven't moved out of committee, so I don't, I'm not really sure uh, what we'll see, what more we'll see on that. We've got about a minute left. Looking at the big picture, we hear the mantra that. We still care about coal and gas. These are, you know, to, to dance with the people that brung you, if you will. But renewable energy is the energy of the future, and it's what corporations want. Are we seeing in this legislative session that that, that continuing philosophy is still going on? I yield to Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Randy not, and Brad, not, not 
so much so far um, because again these these solar bills one sponsored by a Democrat one sponsored by a Republican haven't moved there was a bill that that, that actually a Senate bill that actually uh, changes the way that solar farms are taxed or windmills are taxed so they actually get taxed higher and so you know that 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 doesn't seem to be in in that that direction that we've generally been going. There's there's still some animosity between coal. And oh renewable. sure, there there definitely is. And there's still about 13 issues that we didn't get to. But uh, <laughs> but thanks guys for sitting uh. down with us. And, and that is our Friday reporters roundtable right here. Thank you for spending this time with us. Catch the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. I'm Brianna Heaney. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us and have a great weekend. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, healthcare, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.